What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. I bet all of you thought we were dead. We're not dead. Yeah. Almost. So, I almost. <laughs> so we've been working on... Um, <laughs> we were going to start podcasting from the studio back here. I, I talked about it a few times in previous podcasts. We have a, a studio back here in behind me in that room. And we were going to have Kason come up into the same location. We were going to film it here. And yeah. we actually did attempt to do that and found out that we don't have nearly enough of the right type of capture card or cables that we would need to get our three cameras set up. There was a whole bunch of stuff we wanted to do. There were some other uh, things we want to do to like finish the build out out there so we can hang some stuff on the walls. There was a lot of stuff that we, we tried troubleshooting for like a whole night and we could not figure out how to make it work. Yeah. Finally we called someone who actually knows some stuff and, we should have done that first. <laughs> yes. So anyways, um, the plan moving forward is that we're still going to try to do it from in there, but it might be that for a while we will not be able to do this live. And that might be okay because we yeah, would get we'll real sidetracked and the podcasts would end up being like two and a half hours long of us like yeah. kind of like weaving off topic a bit. So it might be okay. It's nice to have you guys here to correct us if we give misinformation about stuff live and to like yes. check that instead of like having to deal with comments all week about how wrong we are about stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I think overall it might be better to just at least for now, uh, you know, start start back regularly again and just film it in there. So, anyways, we'll keep you guys updated yeah. on to when it will become regular again. But since today is the last day, twenty nineteen. Uh, and also the last game of the d- day of the decade, we thought we would just hop on, do a quick podcast, catch up with you guys, let you know where we're at, and reminisce about all the great stuff that came out in in uh, the 2010s. So, why don't we start out, actually, by talking about, this is a question I've been getting tons, uh, my thoughts on the Witcher Netflix series. Uh, yeah. That released on the 20th of December. Um, and on Netflix, they release all their episodes at once. So you can just binge the whole thing. It's not like, uh, HBO or Disney plus or Disney plus. Yeah. Where they release an episode every week, kind of like the Mandalorian or game of Thrones or something like that. Mm -hmm. They released it all at once. So I was actually, um, as I was watching it, I was inspired to do like, I, I got some really cool ideas for how to do a book review on the last wish. A little bit differently, a little more succinct, a little more like structured than what we did in book club, for instance, Um, and something that could potentially actually go on the channel. Um, So I'm I'm working on my recordings of like specific parts of the novel alongside the um, the narration by Peter Kenny from the audiobook because he's phenomenal. And um, there's a lot of stuff after watching after watching the show that I really want to touch on with with the last wish here so for those of you who aren't aware uh, either haven't seen the show or have never read the books or played the games or anything like that a little bit of background this first season of the witcher is taking a few of the stories from the last wish the last wish is like an anthology so it has 
several short stories. It's not like one overarching plot. It has several short stories that are kind of tied together in between with these sort of interlude chapters that return uh, to the Temple of Melitola and kind of connect them together. But this is a, just a bunch of different short stories that were actually published at different times in like magazines and stuff like that. And then he combined them. He like compiled them all into this book. And this all takes place before like the actual overarching Witcher saga, right? So the first season of the show takes like three of the stories out of this book. And then at the same time makes up, or I shouldn't say makes up as much as extrapolates a lot more information on the backgrounds of characters like Siri and Yennefer and sort of has these three main character plots running uh, and giving us sort of like back until they, they kind of come together. Um, that is not the way that this book goes. <laughs> In this book, you follow Geralt exclusively the whole way through. So um, how much... You re you read The Last Wish all the way through, right, Casey, yeah. for Book Club? Yeah. Did, yeah. You, you liked it a lot, right? You were a fan of the book. I loved it. I thought it was very good, yeah. I actually recommended it recently. Somebody was talking to me about this uh, TV show that was airing, mm. and I was like, oh, I haven't seen the show, but I've read the book that it, mm. the, most of the show is based on, and, you know, it's a really good book, and so we were able to talk about some stuff, but yeah, I haven't seen the show yet. I haven't seen it. So I want to say, first of all, that what was what, what uh, there's a couple things that really impressed me about it. One, uh, there are places where as a filmmaker, I can tell they had a pretty low budget for certain things, or at least their budget was stretched a bit. Um, and, and that being said, it was still really impressive how just overall the production value is really quite strong. Like, it looks really good. Uh, the cinematography is pretty excellent. There have been some people who have complained about, say, like the quality of the costumes, like armor and stuff like that. But as far as I could tell, it all looked oh, really? it all looked hmm. fine. I thought it looked pretty good. I, I think overall, given what I suspect the budget was on a Netflix original series for a first season, <laughs> um, it, it, it's really well done on sort of like mm -hmm. a technical level. Um. And we've we've actually talked about this on I, I think one of the earliest Resonant Arc podcasts. We talk about how how do you adapt something like whether it's a book or a game into something else, you know. And and we we've kind of like our yeah. personal philosophy. We kind of yeah. centered on capturing the heart, like what is the central spirit of that work, and how is that retained as you transition to the other medium right whether that's the book to the film or the game to the film or one game to a remake yeah. of that game <laughs> um so i actually wanted to to ask you this first <laughs> yeah um because because and, and actually to the chat too for anyone who's read the book right what would you say based on your experience that the heart or the spirit of the the last wish was what was it about that book that you thought was kind book. of like yeah was like the real like what it was really getting at at the, at the heart of it i'm i'm interested to know because i, I mean it's going to be different for everyone like the answer that i gave say for fellowship of the ring when we were like trying to determine what that was in that in that previous podcast mm -hmm. you know it was it was interesting to see how many different 
opinions people had like in the comments uh had wildly different ideas of what like the spirit or the heart of lord of the rings was or what the fellowship of the ring was so i want to hear from other people right. before i give mine and like kind of see where what people think oh valhart says uh destiny destiny is the obvious answer the deep answer for him was he doesn't know <laughs> tempering <laughs> duty with humanity okay hmm what about you, Kason? What did you think? Like, dude, that's hard for me, man. Because I, I don't know. I, I, I it would be hard for me to say. Um, you know, a, a lot of the, I don't know, a lot of the conflict of the books mm-hmm. uh, comes from within himself rather than without. Rather than, mm. you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's happening, and he's fighting other people, and there's things going on. And he's dealing with all sorts of crap, but he has such inner conflict that's exploited by, amongst others, that girl captain, um, the girl pirate. What was her name? Renfrey? The the captain pirate girl who kind of the one who uh, him. In, in Blaviken, and she like uh, threatens to like massacre. Yes, the, town. the butcher Blaviken. Yeah, that Ren, one. Renfrey. Yes, yeah, that. Renfrey. Renfrey, mm-hmm. um, as well as um, well. Um, I believe it was Yennefer Um, or anyways, I can't remember the names right now, but yeah, it's just a lot of internal conflict that, and that's kind of his weakness that that can be exploited. Um, But I don't even know how to word that in terms of like a theme for the show. I think I've got you though. I think I've got you because I think I'm on the same page as you given what you just said. So what I would say is that like where the Witcher is really like at its most interesting in, in the novels is that every story is actually pretty philosophical. Like the conflict is philosophical. Yes. You always have Geralt up against another character and they sit there and have a battle of wits and wills and philosophy to decide what is moral, what is just, like, you know, what is right and wrong. And most of these stories are sort of centered on two or three or however many characters like coming at a head philosophically and you know battles will play out and they'll have action and that sort of thing but there's always these long conversations between characters in this i'm not in you know i'm not going to sit here and pretend that like sakovsky's uh philosophy in the witcher is like nietzschean level or or something like that it's not like the deepest philosophical stuff you'll ever read but but nonetheless it is philosophical yeah yeah and it's very interesting to contemplate and what he does really well is he doesn't try to preach at you even through the point of view of his main character like he he gives so much nuance often in the the character surrounding it that you don't really come out of it feeling like you know what the right answer is you'll have Geralt say something and it'll sound really convincing and you'll be like oh man like yes i think i think i'm on board with what what he said there and then whether it's stregobor or renfri or somebody else will come in and they'll give a counterpoint to that and hmm like that you know i I didn't really consider that and they just go back and forth you know uh, you'll have um uh, dandelion will do that from time to time yennefer like all these characters it, it's sort of their conversations their their back and forth philosophizing that really like gives these short stories the meat it's it's like each and every one yeah. of them has a very sort of like clear um theme or or moral that it's exploring 
but it doesn't like try to tell you the answer to it. And yeah. what what well, has I, been? Actually, I, go ahead. Okay, you keep going. You keep going. No, no, go ahead. You you first. Well, I I had a thought relative to that because it like in my opinion it does seem like his waxing philosophical is is mm-hmm. somewhat of a weakness like it's a strength because he is you know he seems to be pretty intelligent he can think things through and he's a step sure. ahead of most people but in the case of the woman who did the curse while he was blabbering on about himself um i can't remember what it was she had done something um over his head while he was uh talking and he didn't realize it oh, but yeah. she had essentially cursed him without him realizing it. Right. Right. But right. He's so interested in philosophy that people who can hang with him there are able to kind of take advantage of him a little bit in multiple yep. cases. I think, I think I've given two examples now where people yeah. are just like, they're able to kind of get in his head a little bit with these philosophical contradictions and get him really thinking. And while doing so he's distracted, but despite that being maybe a little bit of a problem for him, that is what yeah. makes the book so good. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um, uh, Riker's beard says here, Socratic questioning, it's the same structure that makes Star <laughs> Trek so appealing. I, I think that's true. It's the same reason that I enjoy oh, yeah, watching Star, Star Trek. Trek. Sure, yeah. Like Star Trek isn't yeah. like a heavy action show. It's, it's more about, yeah. they, they pick a topic of philosophy for that show or for that episode. It's and true, they sort yeah. of just like dive into that and explore the moral yeah. implications in this or that situation. And like the best, the best Star Trek is very philosophical like that. And that's exactly how I felt about the Witcher. And, and in particular, the last wish, like the last wish isn't just a book I really enjoyed. I mean, I've read all of the Witcher novels and this is my favorite one out of all of them. Um, pretty much the for this wish. reason. Yeah. But it's also just one of my favorite novels of all time. I just really, really love this book. There is so much charm, so much wit, and so much nuance in it, in all the ways that we just described. So that being said, that is what I would say the heart and soul and spirit of The Witcher is. That That is where you find it. Like, that's what makes it really interesting. And, you know, it's got great lore and a great world surrounding it and, and great characters and, um, you know, an interesting plot, it's, it's not the strongest element, I would say, the, the, especially like the saga's plot, but, but it's, it's this exploration of like morality, especially with the witchers who, who have a really strong stance on like neutrality, for instance, they really are dead set on not being involved in the, and not choosing the lesser yeah. evil, right? Like refusing to right. choose between one evil or another, and they right. just work to kill monsters for money, and that's that's all that they're about. And so there are so many times in the books where Geralt is really questioned by Triss and by other characters about that stance and about and 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 the, the greatest example, which is the first um, episode of the show, is the Butcher of Blaviken scenario. So it's called the uh, lesser the one. lesser evil. That story is called the lesser yeah. evil in in the in the novel, right? So that's the mm-hmm. first one that it explores, right? And okay, so for anybody who hasn't seen the show or hasn't read The Last Wish and wants to do that at some point, we will be diving into some heavy spoilers for it now. So um, okay. while we're live, I can't tell you when to come back. We're going to be talking about this for maybe in like the next 10, 15 minutes or something like that. But we will eventually get into our favorite games of the decade, and that's gonna, how we're going to finish it off a little bit later. But for now, 
We're going to talk about this. So just a little bit of a spoiler warning on that. Of course, when this goes on YouTube, there will be time codes to click on in the description. Okay. So um, just a refresher on... Uh, well, let's just do this first. The, the one issue, that I think, structurally that I have with the show, and I, I actually don't know if this was the, the wrong choice on the parts of the showrunners. But I'll try to explain. They want to introduce the three principal characters of this series right away. And from mm -hmm. like a certain perspective, when you first think about it, that seems like the right thing to do because Siri is sure, almost sure. the central character of the Witcher novels, even though it's called the Witcher and Geralt is a central character of these early ones, Siri is like the crux on which the whole plot like revolves for the saga. Hmm. And they're always trying to get to her, right? Like she's kind of the central point of it. So it makes sense to me at a baseline level that they would say, well, we need to introduce that character, the most important character of the series right away. <laughs> um, the problem with that is that the stories that they're pulling from the last wish are many, many years before she was born. Mm. So, and there's even one story in here, right, where they introduce the entire idea of the child surprise and everything like that, that is meant to yeah. be a setup for her. Geralt and Ciri's destinies are entwined yeah, by what yeah. happens in that chapter, but she's not born yet. So, mm. <laughs> um, what happens is that they end up running these three storylines almost like it, it feels intuitively if you're not like aware if you if you're not in the know about the structure of the novels they run almost they feel like parallel storylines like they're happening at the same time in different places but they're not we are jumping through time like crazy every time we go to Sirig, we're going like way into the future and then we go back to Geralt and we're like many many years in the past and then when we see uh Yennefer it's potentially even further in the past <laughs> than that but they they hmm. feel like parallel storylines there's no indicator to say here's the year and place right and oh we're not in the same time anymore there are yeah very very subtle lines that indicate that if you're very observant <laughs> um but if you're not if you're just kind of like the average view and you're just watching i could see it being very confusing for people to be like whoa wait a second like when is this happening and when is that happening like so I think that that's kind of a common criticism I've seen of the show. Um, yeah. In, in that you kind of have to have some level of knowledge about like the, the, the books themselves to like really orient yourself, especially early, early on. Down the line, you might eventually figure it out, but it could be very confusing for people at first. Hmm. But at the same time, we have eight episodes. Each are an hour long. So they didn't do a 10 episode season like a lot of new shows do. It was eight episodes, an hour long each. Eight. And we we're splitting the screen time between three characters. So we have like 33% of the, that eight hour time dedicated to Geralt and the stories that actually come from this book. <laughs> hmm. And in order to set up properly and, and I think do these stories justice, they needed more time dedicated to that. And instead, what we get is a lot of time, like I said, extrapolating like Yennefer's history growing up in, in sort of like the, the, the school for witches at Eratusa, 
which oh, is yeah. never which is never like described in detail in the novels at all. It was just like something that happened no, in the really. past. You knew where she came from, and she talks about being but at Eratusa from time to time. Yeah, they did mention the types of people that tend to go to be witches, though. Yes. So, but like, they didn't really say anything about the place itself. Yeah. Right. And so they show this in detail her whole journey from being selected cool. to go into there. And, I mean, all of this is, I'll put in quotes, you know, made up. <clears throat> Obviously, they, <laughs> right. they did their research and they, 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 I think they've even talked with the author himself. He had, I don't know if he was involved in any of the, direction of what they did in the show but he at least has given his blessing i've I've seen a couple of times to the choice for say like henry cavill and stuff like that to play Geralt. yeah i'm sure he's just stoked that the show is based on his books not the game (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's probably true (laughs) he's like oh please please in any case um so there's so much screen time given to some of those things that aren't even from from the books that we lose precious screen time to really set up and deliver on like the promise, the actual philosophical interesting parts of what made these short stories so good. And that to me, like, like here's an example, right? Uh, in the lesser evil in that episode, they have the part where which, uh, where Geralt goes to Stregobor's tower and he explains, oh, there's this girl who was cursed. All these girls born on this day of the, you know, eclipse. Yeah. Uh, the heralds like the end of the world. And we killed all of them except this one Renfrey. And she's in town now and she's coming here to kill me. And I need you to kill her. She's a real yeah. monster. It's the lesser evil to kill her and save the continent. And he's like, that's BS. I don't believe in a lesser evil. I'm not choosing. Right. Then he goes into right. town. And Renfried contacts him and, and talks about all the awful atrocities Stregobor committed and that he needs to be punished and it's just and it's the lesser evil to kill him. Uh, but but what was happening there is that they set this, this very interesting conversations up between Geralt and these two other characters. And they talk about the idea of the lesser evil and they pay lip service to that in the show. They have some of the lines of dialogue talking about the lesser evil. But like they don't sit with it, and they don't have them go back and forth about you know whether or not it's right, really right. There's there's some lines from Renfrey in the novel where she talks about the lesser evil, the greater evil, and then true evil, the type of evil that forces you to make a decision no matter what. And he continues to deflect that and be like, I don't believe in that. If if it's a choice between evil and evil, I don't. I'm not going to choose at all. But what ends up happening in the novel is she sets up a scenario where she's going, there's like a festival happening, like a market festival in this town. And she's got her mercenaries there set up to essentially start slaughtering all those people. If Stregobor refuses to come out of the tower, which he does, he's like, I don't care. Kill whoever you want. I'm not coming out. And now Geralt's in a position where am I going to let them, am I going to walk away from a situation where they're just going to slaughter all these innocent people or am I going to make a choice as to who of these two people I'm going to stop or who I'm going to, you know? Yeah. And so the entire uh, little short story is all about that. And it's, and it's really, really well done. And the dialogue is so good. And in the show, uh, when he actually goes into the market and the mercenary dudes are there, he's just like in this empty alleyway. 
There are no people there. <laughs> There's no like forced choice on his part as to like, oh, I, I need to get involved to protect innocence. Nothing like that. Mm. And the the choreography for when he takes them down, I will say, is freaking awesome. It's really, really, really? well done. Nice. Like they nice. do it kind of in a one take where they're looking down one alley and he's just like fighting through these guys and then the camera kind of pans over and he goes and fights through the rest of them. He uses his arch yeah. sign and blows some guys back a little bit. And just oh, the choreography cool. of it is freaking amazing. It's it's really, really well done. But I'm sitting here going like, why is he why does he feel the need to do this? I don't understand. Like, they're not threatening anybody. Why has he all of a sudden decided, ooh, I need to choose now? Like, he, the impetus to make him... But see, the problem is, is that they didn't have time to properly set that up because they have yeah. this entire situation with Siri that's going on in the episode simultaneously. And so I'm conflicted because, like, some of the best drama in the show is, I feel, from Yennefer's backstory, which, again doesn't really come from the novels they're extrapolating a lot of that right yeah but all of the great stuff from the actual book like do you remember the story where um they're they're uh Geralt is commissioned to uh go after what they call a devil and he's like there's no such oh, thing as a devil yeah, yeah yeah and it ends up being yeah. a sylvan named Torqua and then they get captured by yeah. those elves and Philavandrel who is the king of the elves like explains yep. how humans like ran them out and they have this huge back and forth a great conversation between Geralt yeah. who who understands what it's like to be ostracized from society because he's a mutant and they treat him just like just as badly as they treat the elves right but yeah. he's he, there's kind of this like back and forth about like what is ideal or just in the minds of the elves in terms of they did this to us we deserve to take it back versus what is like realistic what is actually effective what will actually uh you know secure the long-term survival of the elves that and, and the way that they're kind of going back and forth it touches on racism it touches on you mm. know being too idealistic about letting revenge get to you versus like do you really care about like your people about adaptability, you know, the weak and the strong nature, you know, in nature, like the weak die out and the strong survive in those who adapt better. It just goes over all kinds of really interesting stuff there. And I, I tell you in the show, they just, they just, oh, it was like awful. That whole scenario mm -hmm. played out. So it was such a shallow conversation. And what ends up happening is Geralt. Cause you remember in this, in the book, there was like, um, a spirit of the land where the, the elves had originated yeah. from that sort of shows mm -hmm. up in the end and stops them and sort of commands Philavandrel to stand down and not kill them and sort of like right. helps save Geralt and Dandelion there. In the show, mm -hmm. Geralt just talks back and forth and he's just like, okay, you're right. I'll let you go. <laughs> Even though they were running like a, like a secret little thing here, they were using Torquo to sort of spy and like to steal uh, grains and herbs because they had never learned how to like grow. They had never learned agriculture, like how to grow stuff because right. at in their time, the earth had just provided for them. And like there had been a whole change to the earth and they just had not been able to adapt to that. And so they were sort of reduced to this thieving little like group, right? Mm -hmm. Anyways, in, in the show, they have this very blanket surface level conversation about just, again, paying lip service to a couple of these things. And then Philavandrel just like, okay, you can go. You can just, you can leave. He just lets them go. And so like, I was disappointed because yeah. here's, here's what it kind of felt like to me. It felt like they didn't believe this book 
was interesting enough on its own, had legs strong enough on its own to adapt. Mm. They f- it felt like they wanted pieces of this, but really they wanted to set up the saga story more. And that they felt like that's what people are really going to want to see. And so to me, it was like, well, then just don't just don't do this. Just don't do this story. Right. Just start with the saga. Yeah. Start with the saga. Flashback when you need to. They could even they could even just start with just the one story from The Last Wish where it's um, all about the child surprise. Right. Where they set up like Geralt in series like relationship to each other, their destiny being entwined with the child surprise. Um, mm. they could start there and then just go forward with Siri as kind of the main character. But they they sort of just picked a couple of stories from this book and one from the that the one that came after this. And they didn't do them justice. And that to me was really kind of disappointing because it missed kind of the point. It missed the purpose of those stories, the theme, the message that they entailed. But the production value is quite high considering that there were parts where i thought maybe they had kind of you know their budget was being stretched a bit um but they they show a couple of different like larger battles like the 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 battle of sodden which is like a huge battle they reference all the time in the in the books later on but they never actually show and but but what's so interesting to me is that they use that battle in the book like triss is is at caramoran with the witchers and she's talking about how she fought because, you know, she believed stopping Nilfgaard was what's best for the continent. And like it was important to get involved. And the witchers keep talking about their neutrality. So, again, the Battle of Sodden was used as a device in the novels for Triss to question the neutrality, the morality of the witchers. It's all philosophical. But in the show, mm. they want to show that big battle and give you like the excitement, they like the entertainment value. And so that to me yeah. is kind of like the difference between what the show focuses on and what the novels focus on. And I'm not going to say that that's necessarily the wrong choice because I think a lot of people have enjoyed the show so far. They, people have really gotten into it. But, and any time that, that people will have like a foothold or a door to enter into this world and that they might get interested to read the novels as like a gateway, I think that that's awesome. People will be able to get into this and yeah, kind of yeah. like see the differences and see what this is all about. I'm... I think that it serves as a really good gateway to that. But overall, I, I, I was kind of disappointed. The, the show felt like it was a little shallow in that respect to me. Hmm. Um, so anyways, I had a lot of people asking me what I thought about, uh, about The Witcher. And uh, that's how a I felt. A little shallow. There it is. Um, you know, books always handle philosophical stuff way better than than shows sure. or movies anyways. I think that's just a common, you just have more time to explain mm-hmm. yourself in a book. Yeah. Um, we got to uh, general man who says, are you guys familiar with the trolley problem? That's, um, Oh yeah. 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 Where you got to divert the train to kill one guy or just leave it alone. And it'll yeah. kill like five or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the one guy's your relative. Of some oh right there you go so that makes it personal but um, i don't know if you've yeah. seen um you know uh oh, what's his name um vsauce oh, vsauce yeah, yeah, yeah. vsauce has an original show one of the the youtube like originals that are like exclusive to if you have um either youtube tv or like youtube red i don't know if it's called YouTube oh youtube red, red. Yeah, the yeah. premium right uh, he has a yeah, show on YouTube that premium. and yeah. it's actually really good 
Um, but he oh. exp- he does the trolley problem in in one mm-hmm. of um, one of the episodes where they they actually set up an experiment where people think they they have the ability to like push a button and like either kill one guy or like save uh. the others. And it it, it was a really um, controversial thing. Like a lot of he went to a lot that of that would different... give me PTSD. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they they had like a whole like thing set up where they had like a psychologist who was there to sort of debrief them and help them through that. And yeah. they it was it was a really really fascinating episode. And I mean I'm not going to tell anybody go get YouTube Premium or whatever just to watch one show. <laughs> but I honestly all of all of uh, Vsauce's um, original I forget what the name of the show is called. It's it's something to do with the brain. I can't remember. Anyways, it's super good though. I totally recommend it. But yeah, they have. They have uh, an episode on that. Okay. Um, all right. So let's move on. Uh, again, we wanted to do a little end of the year thing since today is the last day of 2019 and also the last day of the decade. Mm. So I wanted to catch people up because it's been a while since we've been in touch. Um, what have you been playing uh, over the last few months and what was your favorite game of the year, would you say, Casey? Game of the year is tough for me um, because I can't remember the beginning of the year very well. <laughs> but <laughs> I've been playing a ton of Dragon Quest XI and have really, really, really enjoyed that game. So Dragon Quest XI uh, would probably be my game of the year. But I also played, at, at the beginning of the year, I do remember because I had gotten the uh, Super NES Classic mm-hmm. uh, for Christmas last year. And I played a lot of those games again. So my game of the year may well end up being something like that. I played Harvest Moon like a ton uh, with my wife because we got into Stardew Valley. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you got to check out Harvest Moon, the original, right? And she didn't like it as much. Which She didn't I, like I Harvest Moon? That, but yeah, Dragon Quest XI, dude. She thought the days were too short. Um, the oh, options were too limited for... <laughs> I know it, it it does make it challenging, but Stardew Valley is just so well done that I mean I I I do get it. Like I I'm a Harvest Moon person personally, but start if you started with Stardew Valley and went to Harvest Moon, that would be that would be tough, especially the SNES Harvest Moon, not not the 64 one, you know. So yeah, that that I I see I see it kind of see what she's talking about. The days are really short. Yeah. Um, I you uh, know Tetris I was 99 people are saying. <laughs> <laughs> So I was actually um, debating whether or not I would classify uh, Dragon Quest XI as a game of like this year because technically it was I know. released last year, but this version of it adds a lot of new stuff. Like it yeah. has yeah. the the orchestrated soundtrack, the ability to play the two D version, orchestrated two um, D, yeah, a couple of other things. And I played it this year, so I would definitely consider consider at least personally for game of the year for me. Exactly, I've liked it a lot. Yeah. I really like yeah. it a lot too. How far are you into it? Did you finish yeah. it or are you close? Oh, no, no, no. I'm I'm close to the end, but I'm going to be finishing it now. I I don't know exactly what um what I should say right now <laughs> to to yeah. avoid spoilers. Yes, exactly. But it's really freaking good, dude. It's really freaking good. Um nice. Yeah, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what I what I should say and what I shouldn't say. So You know, I was, I was thinking about a, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to bring up something I shouldn't. I don't think I should bring up because you, oh, okay. you, you're introduced to this character early on and you don't know about them. So anyways, but that's where okay. I am. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you know, it's been interesting. I think probably starting in 
around 2017. That's kind of when we started like focusing on this YouTube channel like pretty hard. Yeah, more. Like we we yeah. kind of was shifted to that. Like it was around that time that I stopped playing a lot of new games that were coming out because yes, I was I noticed, yeah. yeah. I was constantly playing Xeno Gears or some Final Fantasy game or Final Fantasy some ten, yeah, 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 some older classic, and these are really long games, right? And I, sometimes I'm playing them multiple times to like get a sense for like everything there is to be offered in them. Like this year, I yeah. played Sweet in two twice. I played. Uh, nice. I think I played the, <laughs> the. I played the first Suikoden. I played Suikoden two twice. I played Terranigma twice. I played uh, Star Ocean. I just almost am finished with uh, Star Ocean First Departure R that uh, we got from Square Enix on the Switch. Um, yeah, yeah. So like I've played so many classic games over the course of these last few years that you know I don't have a chance to get into say for 2019 uh, Outer Worlds or Disco Elysium or Control or like a bunch of these games that were nominated as game of the year or at least best games mm-hmm. of their genre and you know great direction and and obviously very very good games but like pretty much the only games that released this year that I had a chance to play and I didn't even finish all of them were Dragon Quest XI, uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, which I did not get very far into, unfortunately. I have it right here because I'm planning on uh, trying to finish it. Problem is, is that we just had a vote on Patreon and Lost Odyssey is, was the winner for the next game I'm going to cover so in the retrospective. You're going to play another old game. <laughs> so I'm going to be playing Lost Odyssey that's starting cool. <laughs> like uh, probably tomorrow the day after. So I'll be streaming that and, you know, yeah. like doing it uh, with the Patreon streams. But so I'll be playing Lost Odyssey kind of full time, you know. So I, I don't know when I'll get to finishing Sekiro, but um, I did finish Death Stranding. Uh, I did finish Fire Emblem Three Houses, or That's at least right. one of the paths. And um, I played a lot of Dragon Quest Eleven. I played a little bit of Sekiro, and that was about it in terms of like the games of 2019 that I played. So I don't have a lot to choose from. Uh, so it might come as a surprise to people that I would pick as my number one was Fire Emblem Three Houses, and as my runner-up would be Death Stranding. And a lot of people... uh, I did play the very first... uh, Lego Dog just brought up Astral Chain. I played the first chapter of Mm. Astral Chain. Um, Oh, nice. I didn't love it, but I haven't played it enough yet to really be able to say that that I like it or not. Like It was literally just the first... Just the very first like little scenario, tutorial sort of thing. And... I figured since it was a platinum game, I, yeah. I guess I have a certain expectation for movement and control. And there was something uh, about it that felt, I don't want to say laggy or slow. That's not the right word. I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. But something about mm-hmm. it just didn't quite click with my brain. I didn't feel like, mm-hmm. a, oh, I have really tight control of this character. Um, and, and, you know, they, they give you your little uh, demon guy who you're chained to. And I was trying to, like, figure out how to run him around while running my guy around. I'm sure it'll take some practice. And so I left off in a scenario mm. where they were saying, go down to the training room. So they were obviously going to show you the ropes a little bit, like teach you some more controls. So I needed uh, to do that before I could really say for sure how I felt about um, that game per se. But anyways, uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses and Death Stranding. I'm remembering other games that I played now that I'm thinking about it though, because there was, so what was that indie game that I played? You, you had asked me about it. Oh, I can't remember what it was called. That was released this year. Well, maybe it wasn't released this year actually. So never mind. Okay. But I also played smash brothers brawl. No, no smash brothers ultimate ultimate. 
the new one yeah, yeah um that was a really fun game i basically unlocked all the characters i didn't beat the whole um world of light though i'm like mm. a little over halfway through it and i just haven't played the game in months now um yeah but the new nancy drew came out <laughs> nice for the first nancy drew game in like five years or however long it took them forever the game is not very good unfortunately they contacted us which is hilarious they said hey uh we'll give you this game if you'll you know like just make a video about it talking about it and i was like i had suspected that it wouldn't be a good game and i was like you know what i don't think you guys want me to to make a video about this game because it won't be good um but here i am talking about it right now uh it's not great uh they changed everything about the nancy Dream. oh that sucks man unfortunate but i played with my wife we had a blast um it was fun short she did not like it either it's Mm. they've changed a little too much um but you know the puzzles were kind of fun nancy drew is not my game of the decade i'm sorry it fell fell a little short fell a little short some of those Um, games are good a few came out this decade that were pretty good but so when it comes to fire emblem um i was pretty skeptical about it remember we talked about it back like when we saw this trailer and stuff I, I yes. did not like yeah. the direction of Fates and like while Echoes, uh, right. Shadows of Valentia or whatever that one was called, that was it was a remake of like Fire Emblem Two basically. So it was pretty good, yeah, but yeah. like it didn't like really like I don't know, it it didn't really grab me the way some of the older ones did. But so I was skeptical going into Fire Emblem Three Houses, and when I first started playing it, it took a while for it to click as well. Like it was taking so long to do all of the stuff at the academy, and you're running around and talking to everybody and doing all this customization. Mm. And it's just like, man, what am I going to get into another battle? Like, holy crap, this yeah, takes forever. And it is part of the reason why I have 150 hours in this game, and I'm not even close to like personally being <laughs> finished with it yet. <laughs> like. I've nice. taken a break for, from it for a while so I could play some other stuff and focus on some other stuff, but like I'm, I'm not done playing it yet. But what I really loved about it, it wasn't like that I loved the story or the characters. or you know, I, I like Fire Emblem combat. I, I just like the mechanics of Fire Emblem. So that was on point. But the character customization, man, like like getting all of the characters to like sort of learn and master all of these different classes that hooked me hard <laughs> into the game. I just like really got hooked on that. And it got me thinking a little bit. I might actually do a, a future video on this about like, what is the most uh, maybe like important aspect of an RPG? Cause mm. I don't know if you remember this. There was an article a few years back, maybe a couple years back where Tetsuya Takahashi, the creator of Xenogears and Xenoblade, he was talking about how maps are like the most uh, important aspect of creating an RPG. Um, I do like, remember that. Yeah. Map creation. And so, like, mm. it got me thinking about it because I was like, why did I freaking play Fire Emblem so much? Like, it, it doesn't have, it doesn't tick necessarily all the boxes I typically want in a game that I will get that invested in. But for some reason, I just couldn't put it down. And for me, it really came down to, like, that's what RPGs are, are that's yeah. what distinguishes RPGs from any other genre, right? <clears throat> because maps are really important in platformers maps are really important in adventure games maps are really important in many many different genres it's not just rpgs that doesn't it's distinguish an rpg for something else it's all about role playing it's about taking on a character or a group of characters and building up their stats and customizing them and like turning them into a team or an an individual that you know uh, caters to your play style and fire emblem for me 
that that was <laughs> Fireman Three Houses. That's what really hooked me was like, I want to get this mm. character who is, say, their base stats or something sort of like make them uh, a great archer or something like that. But I'm going to start working on their magic. I'm going to start working on maybe heavy armor or the ability to ride horses, you know, cavalry units so that I can like do more with them than just lock them into a guy standing there with a bow and arrow shooting people. And there's so mm. many characters that you can recruit that you start doing that for all the different guys. And it's just like, you start really getting into the nitty gritty about like optimizing. And that for me was just a lot of fun. I had so much fun doing that in Fire Emblem mm. that like, I ended up, like I said, playing 150 hours and I'm, I'm not even close to being finished yet. Cause I wanna, I wanna wow. at least for my main character, master every single class in the game uh i think there's only one he's not allowed to get because it's kind of like an optional class for a specific it's like a, the dancer class or something but anyways i wanted to master every possible class the main character could do and so you know i'm just like fighting battles and just like uh you know doing the the side stuff at the academy it was a lot of fun i, I really enjoyed it a lot so that would probably be my number one pick for this year in terms of new games that i played but wow. uh death stranding was also an extremely fascinating experience. And I'm going to say right off the bat, there are so many reasons to criticize this game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, this is not a game for everyone. And, you know, tons, I mean, every reviewer has basically given that caveat. Like, listen, this is probably not going to be for everyone. There's a lot of people who are going to find this right. very boring. The boss fights are horrible. There's a lot of like really, really stupid stuff. Some of the dialogue is just atrociously bad, just laughably stupid. So, so, so cringy bad. Mm. That being said, man, the world is so interesting and like sort of mm. like the concept of this type of apocalypse is so cool. And when I was playing it, right. It's not, people will call it a walking simulator. You just walk from point A to point B. It's not that, <laughs> right. it's yeah. not that simple. I think it might be more accurate to call it a hiking simulator where you have to like plan ahead. You have to say. Hiking is much more interesting than walking. Where am I going? What is the terrain going to be like? How can I prepare myself to best get through that area? Am I going to need to take weapons with me because it's BT territory or I'm going to be going through mule tail ter territory or something like that? There's a lot of planning ahead to make sure that you're equipped to get through that area. And then actually traversing the, the terrain to me is actually pretty fun. It reminded me a lot yeah, yeah. of our filmmaking days when we would be climbing uh, mountains and hiking through the wilderness right. and trying to figure out how to get to that spot Just right up there to find the perfect spot yeah, to get yeah. our shot. Cause we wanted our money shot fun. on the mountain. It was, it was actually really rewarding after yes. all that toil and trouble to finally get to the spot that you wanted to get to and be like, Holy cow, we did it. We're here. This is awesome. <laughs> Remember that and we, uh, I mean, we had to go back multiple times for reshoots, but still. Yeah. <laughs> And we found better ways to get there to the next time, you know, like, right. But remember, yeah, we didn't have to I think, climb the goat path. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was you and me. I don't think Landon was with us on this particular time, but we were taking the yeah, drone I think up. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it was Timpanogos yeah. or if it was, no, it was the, that other the one. The mountain in front or, yeah, the one in front of Timpanogos. Is it rock something or was there something with an R? Yeah. Anyways, that I peak. That peak there. Yeah. We were like, we want to stand on top of that peak. And we're going to get an yeah. aerial shot, like looking out over the valley. And I'm going to be walking with like a sword on my back and like my cloak on, like walking on top yeah. of this mountain. And, and we were just like, okay, we know we see the spot. 
we don't see a trail to get there. Like, how are we going to get there? So mm. we like, like physically freaking rock climbed up, <laughs> yes. up the freaking like cliff face without a rope. <laughs> exactly without a rope there were certain parts where it was like okay it was kind of scary i don't know how we're yeah it was really scary and i was like i don't know how we're gonna get there but going down at this point would be more dangerous than from where i'm at getting to the top keeping going up to the top and then we'll figure out how to get back down later you know yeah <laughs> oh, and like i was reminded of um all of our sort of like film adventures and just like out cool. in the wilderness. I really enjoy that. I like yeah. hiking. I like climbing. I like uh, getting outdoors from time to time. Mm-hmm. And um, Oh, wait, wait. One more one more thing real quick. Sure. I don't think you were there. I was with Landon flying the drone near Bridal Veil Falls, and I crashed oh, it to the yeah. side of the waterfall. And I had to freaking <laughs> climb up oh, all yeah. the way up to get it. And you know I'm, I'm afraid oh, of heights. Like, that was not... Yeah something that I would have done otherwise but i was like we just gotten this drone it was brand new and i was like oh it's my fault i have to get it oh my gosh that was that was scary but i got I it think i did it so it was wh- wasn't it when we were filming um we were filming some shots for the skyrim video well, we went up to bridal veil falls when it was frozen yeah so we were trying to climb on like freaking permafrost like icy yeah, freaking that was like really slippery <laughs> once you got near the waterfalls like it was really yeah slippery it yeah. was and so many times cool. we were out there climbing like freaking mountains that were frozen mm. in the middle of the yeah. winter with like huge packs <laughs> of equipment on our backs with no ropes <laughs> it's I like know, a freaking dude. miracle we survived but i look I know, back on i look back on that really fondly we you know out on the frozen lakes when we went out to film like the, the oh, chrono trigger right, video yeah. Um, and who knows if the ice was really thick enough for us. Yeah, to for us to be walking walk. out well, there. Yeah, we went anyways. It was a cool <laughs> shot. <laughs> it was an awesome shot, right? So, yeah. uh, anyways, when I was playing Death Stranding, a lot of the time, that's what I would do. I would get to like a point, and yeah. I would look up, and it's like because you kind of like chart a path. You you open the map, and it's yeah. like okay, I need to get here, and you sort of draw a path on the map of like the path that you roughly want to take. And you kind of are following that path, you know. It's kind of like um, like a little pulse, like a little trail that'll lead off into the distance, and you, you can sort of follow that path. But then it might come to a point where it's like, "Oops, this is a really steep sort of area. I can't just like scale this part. So how am I going to get yeah. from here over to there, or from here? Like, what's the best way?" And you're scanning the environment, and you're looking around. I can see how that would be the most boring freaking thing in the universe to a lot of people. <laughs> But yeah. me in particular, having like actually done a lot of that in real life, I actually had a good mm-hmm. time just figuring out what's the easiest path to get me over this mountain. Like, and and all the while you might run into some BTs and you're trying to do some stealth or, or you know, you're fighting them off or, or trying to sneak past. Um, there was a lot of it that I really enjoyed. But here was here was, I think, like the number one thing that stuck with me about Death Stranding. And uh, I'll try to get through this quick so we can we can wrap up with our game of the decade section. But okay. you know me, and There's I think one more a lot game of people I forgot to mention. By the way, so oh, do that first leave before me, I get leave into me this. time. Oh, do you want to do that? Okay, do that Kingdom first because I might talk for a while. Yes, that was the Dude, game Kingdom in Hearts January, 3, right? Came out like January. Yeah, I forgot. I thought that was last year for some reason. Um, I played that game, not my game of the year, but I'm just saying I played it, and yes. it was okay. I guess it did not unseat <laughs> Dragon Quest Eleven. <XI. laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that did come out earlier Sorry. in the year. It, it kind of came and went. Uh, 
I know yeah, that they have a big apper- expansion coming out now. Yes, that just and the thirty bucks. I don't, we'll see. We'll see. It seems to actually be really story. Like it seems to be adding a lot to the story. Yeah. Um, based on the trailer, so yeah, that's interesting. But at the same time, I don't know. We'll see. I might get yeah. into that. Okay, so here was the part about Death Stranding. <clears throat> And again, this is with all the caveats that the boss fights, the boss fights are freaking garbage. Uh, a lot of the dialogue sucks balls. It's just really, really bad. Um, there's some really, really whack stuff. I mean, his style, I mean, you know, Kojima style. He's just, he's got a weird, yes. weird for weird sake. A lot yeah. of times, like, you know, sure. all that's there. That's not going to be for everybody. A lot of times it's not even for me. This is why it's not my game of the year pick. It's got too many things about it yeah. that are just like, oh, what the frick? Like, I don't agree with that choice or this part of the game is just really annoying or whatever. But it this part's really, really stuck with me. So you know me. I'm sure a lot of people in the comments know me. I am a, a, a major social recluse. Like, I do not right. like socializing with people. My sort of, like, uh, dream scenario for a long time has been to... Like, make enough money to buy some land and just, like, hard exit society. Just get the freak away from people (laughs) as far away as possible. I hate, like, the way, you know, this can be exaggerated a bit with the internet. But I hate the way, I hate the the state of current day modern public discourse. The lack of good faith that people engage each other with. The the, the just rampant tribalism. No one ever like giving anyone opposing their viewpoint a chance to like, (laughs) like make a point without trying to like nitpick or like dive into their past or find some way to dismiss anything they could possibly say. I, I am so against like the way modern society talks to each other that I have just had this feeling for a long time. Like I just want to get away from all of it. I hate society. I hate people. I need a piece out of here. So with that being said, that's kind of how I've thought about, you know, uh, when anything, when it comes to politics or, or living Mm -hmm. in a city or just being around people and death stranding really made me question some of my own thoughts on this. And what happened is, is obviously it's a post-apocalyptic society. All the different cities are not, they don't have like any way of communicating directly with each other. So uh, your job in the game is to take essentially like this item that connects people to like a, a network, like a, a, a futuristic like idea of like an internet essentially so that the cities will be able to not only like communicate and talk to each other but they can send schematics and they have like 3d printers basically where they can like print supplies and different like tools and things that they would need Um, and they can share you know like uh, information with each other uh, technology with each other essentially a way of rebuilding the nation again so that it's connected so that's kind of like the whole plot is you manually walking from city to city through the United States and trying to connect everybody again uh, so that people can start working together. Right. So that's the idea of the story and the way that they sort of like um, tell that story through the gameplay was really quite profound for me Uh, because you can, the way that it works in terms of its online capabilities, it's got kind of a pro social aspect to it. So if you lay down a ladder or something in your game, I can come across it in my game. 
and, and it will say your name above the structure that you laid down or that you built where there's a bridge or a ladder or maybe you like left some rope behind so it would be easier for me to climb the side of the mountain or maybe you left a vehicle that I can come get or like some sort of way station where I can like charge my vehicles if they're running low on batteries. Um, all kinds of different helpful structures that you can build that other people will come across in their game and that they can use. And so you can uh, like, mm. like give like social, like thumbs up, like likes to oh, nice. the structures people leave behind. And yeah. the more that you get, like essentially you'll level up faster and like, you know, get higher social standing. Anyways, um, <clears throat> and it'll be seen by more people. The more likes it get, like the more it'll appear, I think, in other people's worlds. Oh, they um, have an algorithm? <laughs> yeah, nice. something like that. So anyways, yeah. one of the structures you can build are roads, like paved highways, essentially. Wow. And there's this one map where you are meant to go deliver some stuff to these different uh, places, but you have to go through the, the organization is called mule M U L E. They're like these guys who, if they see you and they have all kinds of technology that'll scan the area and like find you and they'll just like freaking run in and they try to steal your stuff. They like beat you up and they take all of your cargo. And so getting through those areas was really annoying. And, but you had to like, you were forced to do that mm. in order to make your deliveries. But, I would come across structures that were built by players for like these, these roads. And it's like, if I could just get on the road and just like really get through there quickly on a motorcycle, they wouldn't be able to attack me. But in order to build it, you have to donate materials, whether it's uh, metals or resins or uh, all kinds of different materials in order to help the community sort of build that structure. So hmm. I had just made a delivery and I came across some, just like some metals that I had, sort of discovered out in the wilderness that had been dropped by other players. So I picked them up and I took them back to the last place I had been and I and I kept them there for my own future use. Like I'm going to need these to construct tools for myself and I'm I'm going to donate them to this place so that I'll be able to use them in the future. And then I came across uh one of the structures being built by players and I was like, "Dang it, why didn't I and I went, I ran all the way back, like way out of my way. I collected those metals and those resins and I brought them back and I donated to the community thing." And I said to myself, like, wait a second, this is so not typical of me. I am like, not only <laughs> working with people online, I am like excited about it. Like, I really want to help mm. do this. And um, uh, there was a character, there was a character who he's kind of like a, what we call it, like a prepper type, right? So he's going to hold up in his little um, shelter. He's in, he's in his shelter, mm. right? And it's the first time he's spoken with another person in quite a long time. And so he just goes on and on about, you know, what you're doing, trying to connect America. It's just going to bring us back to where we were. He's got like this very like extreme sort of view on like whether or not connecting America is a good idea again. And talking about how what you're doing is like not the right thing. But at the end of it, mm -hmm. he kind of goes like, sorry, I, I kind of rambled on there for a minute. It's just been so long. It's really nice to be able to talk to somebody again. And so, like, the conflicting nature of what he's saying there, he's talking about how building society, connecting with others is a bad idea, but his his need to talk with another person, his need to connect with people, right, is still sort of, like, trumping that in his need to, like, talk with you and, like, and so, anyways, it got me really thinking about it, and it was like, you know, with all the bad things that come from being a part of society, all the tribalism, all the things that I just talked about earlier that I hate about modern society. Mm. 
if I were really out in the wilderness by myself, think of all the things I wouldn't be able to enjoy or wouldn't be able to have because I don't have the skills. Right. That's that's like part of the social contract of being in a society. You are going to contribute <laughs> right. your You've skills. you got to contribute something. Yeah. Everybody's going to contribute their skills. And because of that, everyone has access to grocery stores because there are people out there who can build the facility. There are people out there who can grow the food. There are people out there who can deliver it and like set up the structure to be able to like send the food out to the places. There are mm. people out there who can uh, sell it. There are people, you know, everybody coming together. <laughs> And this is obvious, right? This is not like a deep right. thought. This is super <laughs> obvious to me, but it didn't yeah. really like land in like, that's, that's what you put up with all the crap so that working together, we can all have a better quality of life. That's like the whole freaking point of it. And that's the reason why the human race has come as far as it has. And so it's just like, man, it's, that's an, a moronic thought that I've had for all these years to try and just like peace out of society and like get away from people because there'd be so much that I'd be missing out on. And on top of that, human connection is like a deep need that we have. So instead of, I guess like my, my outlook on it being so negative about the way people treat each other, it's like, look, look at all the, the things you would be missing if you really tried to like just, you know, eject so for that reason, almost that reason alone, Death Stranding to me was a really valuable experience, even with all the frustrating parts that sure. came with it and all the weird stuff like that part for me. And that was I felt kind of the central theme of the game. I felt like it really worked. And they and they told that story, not just with cutscenes, which are, is typical of Kojima style to just do like five hour long cutscenes, yeah, yeah. but through the <laughs> gameplay yeah. too, the gameplay really like solidified that theme for me. And so cool. I wow. really, really enjoyed it for that reason. Uh, okay, so that was uh, Death Stranding would be my runner-up for Game of the Year. But again, I didn't play Outer Worlds. I didn't play Disco Elysium. I didn't play Control. I didn't play a bunch of other stuff. So I don't know if it's really worthy being Game of the Year. I didn't even watch the Game Awards. <laughs> did you guys watch the Game Awards? I did I not. Know. I'm kind of... It was a little shady that, that Hideo Kojima yeah. is on the board of like people for the game awards Ooh, and death stranding yeah. got nominated for like 11 awards <laughs> huh it well, didn't win game of the case. year so jeff Keeley, bless his heart you know he's trying to do something big um he has always as far as i'm concerned he has always had a quite a time of like I don't know, being as unobjective as possible because he openly just accepts money from all these companies that are making the games that are being selected for at his show. And he's they're they're clearly advertising on his show directly to, to him. Anyways, it's it's kind of a system. Hopefully it's up in the future though. What it is right now isn't what it should be in the future, I think. Sure. A uh, quick uh, couple comments from Jonah the Man, and then we'll move on. Mike, there's a term in sociology called, I don't want to pronounce that, anomy? Anomy? Identified by Emily Durkheim. It refers to the state in which society is norm, uh, normless and suffers from a lack of trust because the different people and communities lack any uh, shared intentionality. This is a problem yeah. throughout the Western world, especially secular and pluralistic societies, but not in video games due to players sharing <laughs> intentionality. Shared intentionality and more specifically shared restrictions on behavior such as self-flagellation 
in religious communities is important because it makes people trust each other more and also makes them forgiving of each other. That is actually, I don't know if this is totally related, but one thought that I had about Death Stranding's, I guess, um, implementation of that sort of pro-social experience is that there isn't any way to have a negative experience with another player, right? Like you're, you're avail- yeah, the, the available possible. options to interact with other people is so limited that it's essentially only positive things. And maybe that relates to uh, having shared intentionality. We're all working together for a single kind of purpose. And, and there's not really much we can do to interact with each other outside of that shared intentionality, if I'm understanding what the term is referring to. And so there's definitely something to be said for that in terms of like, yeah, if, if we were all forced to interact with each other by liking uh, liking each other's structures or not using them, you know, like we can't really have some of the more like nuanced interactions that a real society has to actually go through. So like I, I enjoyed the idea of what Death Stranding was trying to do, but certainly like it's limited in terms of how it explores that. And so like yeah. uh, that was definitely a thought I had while playing it. So, um, okay, let's quickly look back on the decade. So we talked about our favorite games of this year. Yeah, if I had a hard time remembering what I played this year, um, (laughs) we'll see how well I remember what games I played in the last 10 years. So uh, before I kind of just jump into this, it's been interesting to sort of reminisce on just the decade as a whole. Like, I think about it, this is, we started doing YouTube, I think in late 2011 or something like that. 11, yeah, November of 11 was our first. So we spent, we spent a great majority of this decade being very active on YouTube and Yes. Video creation. And so like, you know, I look back on like the three major decades in which like the full decades in which I've lived, right? Like my childhood was the nineties. Uh, oh, we got an emote. Thanks to Genshiken fan eight subscription. Thank you. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, send that to him. Say thanks. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Um, okay. So anyways, yeah. Uh, you know, high school years, um, essentially teenage years in the 2000s. And then this decade has been coming into being a working adult. Um, and just like, yeah, a lot of time that we spent together climbing those mountains and shooting those videos and, you know, like yeah. figuring out filmmaking, uh, filmmaking, but video production as a, as a profession. And so um, there's a lot that's happened. I, I think I released my first Final Fantasy review in like September of 2010. So we're coming up on 10 years since I released my first video on YouTube. So YouTube has sort of defined in many ways this last decade for me. Yes, very but, much so. And the early part of the decade, I used to play a lot of new games when they would come out. I sort of explained earlier how in the last few years I've mostly been focusing on classic games. I don't play a lot of the new stuff. Mm. But in 2010... Um, Mass Effect 2 was was my game of the year that year. Mass Effect 2 freaking blew my mind. I loved the first game. I think you've played the first game, right? Yeah, yeah, I played the first. I'd never played anyone other than the first, though. Yeah, the first game's awesome. It's a great introduction yeah. into sort of this universe. Lots of cool lore. Um, yeah, just so really, cool. <laughs> really, like, great setup. But what I thought Mass Effect 2 did really good is, like, interpersonal connections between like your crew like you build really great relationships with the crew members on on your ship for that mission and um and that that part of it really just stuck out to me in a way that it was uh 
done better, I feel, than any other game I had played before in terms of like really like getting to know and care about the characters. So I loved Mass Effect 2. I think the runner-up for that year for me would be Red Dead Redemption. Um, oh, game was just yeah, freaking phenomenal. So much fun. Yeah. Um, well, did Skyrim come out? Speaking 2011, of- the next year. So yeah. in 2011, my game of the year for that year was Dark Souls, and my runner-up would be oh, Skyrim. Nice. Yeah. Um, I really liked Dude, Skyward Skyrim Sword. Everything. I really oh, liked yeah, Skyrim. Right. That was the name. I really liked huh. Skyward Sword. A lot of people did not. Yeah, and good. and it, it, it f- like there are certain things about it I would say that I liked it better than Skyrim. Skyrim has was really really mm-hmm. huge in that year and in the couple of years that followed, but it's been kind of more uh, pan yeah. panned in like recent years for the bugs and like right. the 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 problems yeah. in terms of technical and the way that Bethesda designs their games and stuff like that, but Yeah, Skyrim for me fallen from grace since then. Yeah. <laughs> Skyrim for me was all about exploration. I loved coming on the horizon, seeing all those new waypoints and just finding out what was out there. It was a game that just felt like it was full of mystery to be discovered. It was just such a, such a cultural phenomenon too. But Dark Souls for me was, is easily like technically like the best game of the year. Just revolutionized action adventure combat in terms of what I expect. So Dark Souls was my game of 2011. Um, 2012 journey was number one for me and the runner up. Oh would be, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Journey was amazing. And then the runner up yeah. would be Xenoblade Chronicles. Now that technically came out in Japan <laughs> in 2010, but it came out in North America in 2012. So I count it in 2012. Nice. Uh, 2013, I would say fire emblem awakening was my number one, mm. uh, followed up by the last of us. Um, that was 13. Holy 20, cow. It, I know. Isn't that crazy? It's been that so freaking so long. long ago. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I thought that was like 15 or, oh man. Yeah, dude, it, absolutely, Jeez. absolutely amazing. Um, okay, and then uh, 2014, now 2014 was a down year. There actually weren't that many great games that came out in 2014 for me. So I picked Smash Brothers for the Wii U, which I did think was a, a really good game. Oh, that's and right, that was very a- good. After Brawl, it felt really good, because I wasn't a fan of Brawl. Melee was my favorite. And so Smash Wii U, while being... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not as fast as Melee or necessarily have a lot of the technical uh, things that you can do in Melee, but it just felt it felt truer to the Smash experience that I was looking for. Um, had a lot of really cool like side things you could do. Um, I really liked it. Uh, and then another game that surprised me tremendously that year was Shadows of Mordor, because I did not expect I was going to like that at all. I I didn't think I was going to like it. I was like, this is this is a bastardization of Tolkien's Uh, work. This is freaking terrible. uh, I ended up really liking it. It was actually a really fun game. Um, twenty fifteen, the obvious choice, uh, The Witcher three, Wild Hunt. Um, and then uh, essentially like began my obsession with the whole world and reading all the novels because I had played The Witcher two before and I liked it. I I thought it was a fun game. I played it a couple times because there's two paths in it, but. The Witcher 3 just, like, sent my obsession for that world into the stratosphere. I had to freaking read everything about it. So, loved it. Uh, Undertale would be my runner-up for that year. Undertale was phenomenally charming game. Um, amazing that that was designed by, like, one person. Just freaking so good. Uh, 2016 is another down year for me. There wasn't a lot, but for sure the number one game was one of my favorites ever. It was Hyper Light Drifter. Um, Hyperlight Drifter is phenomenal, but I don't even have a runner up for that year because 2016 was just not that great. <laughs> um, 
2017, I'd pick Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice as my favorite game of 2017. Um, I did a video on it. It's unlisted now, but uh, I felt that that game did some really nice things with the storytelling and uh, like like th- that you can only do in video games, like telling the story through gameplay type of stuff. Like I think it has some really, really strong examples there. Uh, Runner up would be Night in the Woods. I thought that was a really charming little indie game. Definitely recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Kind of more like a visual novel than an actual video game, but really good. Uh, 2018, I would say God of War, the the new uh, the newer God of War, um, kind of changed my whole perspective on the character and like the series and what it was all about in the past. Yeah, it really like gave some depth to it, and and a lot of people they didn't like that. In many ways, I would say it did kind of betray. Um, the spirit of what uh, God of War used to be. But fortunately, I wasn't like super into that. <laughs> and I was really into <laughs> this. So personally, I liked it better. <laughs> uh, runner up would be uh, Smash Brothers uh, uh, Ultimate. And then 2019, like I said, Fire Emblem, Away- or Fire Emblem Three Houses and uh, Death Stranding. So of all of those games, which would I pick as my favorite of the decade? It's- of the whole decade? It's really not that close. It's The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. And then nice. I would say my, my nice. runner-up to that my runner up to that would be Hyper Light Drifter um, as my oh, second wow. favorite of, uh, of this decade. So uh, what, are, what, are, what are other people's and what's yours? What's your favorite game that you played so, in the 2010s? <laughs> I, I don't have much. Um, I don't have much for this, I guess. I don't have a, a game of the year for every year. Mm-hmm. And I would be pretty recently biased. Um, and, you know, some people are going to uh, not love this, but probably Breath of the Wild was my favorite game for the whole decade, for the nice. entire decade. Because there were a lot of games that I played that really, you know, were super immersive and really brought me, you know, took me back a little bit and brought me back to, like, I haven't, I haven't spent over 100 hours on a single game in a long time, not including like the smash brothers or maybe call of duty, which are not, wouldn't yeah. even be close. Um, but maybe close, maybe over 150 hours. I haven't spent that much time on a single game, um, in mm. a very, very, very long time. But breath of the wild is one that I, that, that I did spend a ton of time with that one. And also game of the decade in some ways for me could also be final fantasy eight because I didn't play it until this decade. <laughs> But anyways, that's actually a better game than a lot of people um, <laughs> give it credit know, for realize. I think. Yeah. But there you go. There you go. And Legend of Zelda Breath of the I Wild. Got. And, you know, in conjunction with that, you and know, Golf it, Story might be my runner up. Honestly, I still didn't play Golf Story. Some of those indie games. Golf Story is amazing. It is an incredible game. I really need to get that. But um, uh, but in conjunction with the experience of Breath of the Wild, having that you know be your pick for the game of the decade was yeah. being able to go to E3 being invited to E3 by Nintendo being a VIP being able that to That was a big part of it. play that <laughs> yeah. game in like a private VIP little booth uh, the, together the three of yeah. us our first experience at E3 and seeing like the the, yeah. the whole display that they had set up that huge freaking like little forested area like it the the really lead cool. up the build up to that yeah. was like and and that I was actually watching something recently that talks about mm. um, the way that I don't know if it's serotonin or dopamine. I can't remember which. I think it's dopamine. Uh-huh. Anyways, the mm. way that uh, the brain works in terms of like chemically is that you'll actually get more of that 
when you're anticipating something than when you actually mm. get it. So, so often things like See, the yeah. build up to Christmas is actually more enjoyable than then, Christmas Day, yeah. right? That and that makes the, perfect the, sense. And it makes sense why we hype games so hard. Exactly. Like all this hype That's why surrounding. The hype is so real because it's so fun. It's like yeah, almost it's more fun, fun than the actual thing. To anticipate something, and usually it's yeah. better. The leading up, the excitement leading up is actually way higher yeah. than when you get the thing. <laughs> and true. so, like, that was like heightened to like a totally new level for me with Breath of the Wild because we had that yeah. whole like it, VIP Nintendo experience surrounding mm. like the build up and release of that game. We were starting this new gaming channel. We were getting opportunities. Yeah. C- companies were calling us. They were sending us right, games yeah. to review. It was yeah. like I never thought in my wildest dreams as a kid that I would yeah. be a professional guy on the internet like reviewing stuff. You know, like it was yeah. just a crazy time. And so like all those good memories associated with Breath of the Wild made it really. Kind of like a special yeah. experience, you know? You know, also during that same time was when we were anticipating Final Fantasy 15, and definitely the anticipation outweighed the actual game in, yeah. <laughs> in, uh, with Final Fantasy 15. Um, oh, totally. But <laughs> um, with Breath of the Wild, I feel like it, um, it really delivered in a lot of ways that I wasn't expecting, and in, yeah. in most of the ways that I was expecting. So, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so there you got it. Uh, let's see what some other people are saying here. Uh, uh, Res- so Resident I've Evil, a lot Resident of, Evil Two uh, remake, DMC Five, yeah. Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, Persona Five is one we didn't really mention. Um, I'm not a big Persona fan, but that is definitely a really good game. Really fun game. Really good. Uh, take us back to the old, you know, turn-based systems of the '90s and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn didn't mention that either. That was a very good game. Uh, that would be, might be like the runner up to the runner up. Yes, for 2017 for me. So it's, I got Hellblade and then Night in the Woods. Yeah, and then uh, probably um, uh, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn after that. And then another one that we didn't really mention as much was Near Automata and yeah. or Automata. How do people say it? Uh, automata, I think, is the correct way of saying that. Near automata. Um, um, yeah. So a lot of people had that as their as their game of the decade. Um, um, we had Chrissy here who was asking about some of the Ace Attorney games. Those games were not in this oh, decade. Yeah. They came out in like yeah, the early two thousands, like back on the Game Boy Advance and the DS. So that was last, yeah. the beginning of last decade. These these games are almost twenty years old now, so that's why. Um. Uh, Project Octopath was somebody's 2019 game. Lego Dogs 2019. Good pick. Stardew Valley, I'm seeing for someone. Alien Isolation, phenomenal game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a lot of these I maybe just didn't really play, but... There's so many I didn't. There's so many games I didn't yeah. play, but uh, but a lot of good picks. A lot of good picks from you guys. Yeah, this oh, was a great, the- great decade, man. Rob is this? bringing up one more thing that I want to address. He said, did you see the trailer for Cinema 2? It gave us nothing. Oh, yeah. I'm going to talk about this real quick, and this is one of those things I don't want to spend too much time on because there really is, if you go to that trailer, people are freaking stoked, stoked out of their minds for Cinema 2. Um, I'm real conflicted because I really loved that game. Minor, minor spoiler here. Minor. I'm not going to like really spoil anything. This is probably not a spoiler. I'm just trying to be careful. Minor, minor spoiler for Hellblade Cinema Sacrifice. The way that the game ended, it it it, it um, resolved in a very satisfying way psychologically for the character. Mm. 
And there's a really strong message of acceptance. That's kind of really what the heart of that story is all about is accepting reality. Right. And like being able to let go of the burdens of holding on to things and, and accepting things as they are and, and the healing power that can come from that. So the fact that they show Senua in, there's just this heavy sort of tribal beat going on. And there's almost like this, um, ritualistic aggressive nature to it and she's real angry and there's all this pain (laughs) and it's like wait a second (laughs) i thought i thought we resolved this i thought we we had come to a point of acceptance it was a really beautiful ending so i i'm conflicted about the having a sequel at all i feel like it does not need a sequel it's one of those games that should have been left alone how i feel when things yeah or season twos but um it's kind of like boy meets world where it's like yeah you learned that really important life lesson but what about these other life lessons and you're you're gonna learn a thousand of them throughout the next you know however long yeah. mm-hmm. you just it's a it's a new life lesson every episode yeah. and that's that's anyone now um so some philotin is saying could be some sort of prequel and i did think about that i did think maybe this is before Huh. Before Senua's sacrifice, maybe this came before, and it's maybe during her like um her pilgrimage yeah. journey in the woods or whatever, right? Because they they <laughs> sort of like talk about how she went out to to because anyways she's a character suffering from like schizophrenia, like uh right um like seeing people, hearing voices in her head, like all this sort of thing, uh like a dement not dementia, I can't remember the name of it. anyways, she's suffering from mental illness, and so but they don't understand that back in like freaking like middle ages or whatever even before that like 1100 or whenever this was so they think she's cursed she thinks they get she got demons in her head so she goes out into the woods to like purge herself so it maybe it's it's something happening uh somewhere in there possibility but uh i don't know um chrissy's asking about radiant historia i think that released in 2010 or 11 i can't remember I which. brought up mario galaxy um i thought that was before when did Radio Historia come out? Let me look at that up real quick. Because I, I actually kind of forgot about that. It didn't come up on uh, some of the lists I was looking up. But I think that came out... Yeah, that came out in 2011 in North America. So let me look, let me examine this again. I would put Radiant Historia above Skyrim. So it would be Dark Souls as my number one, and then Radiant Historia would be my runner-up for 2011. So good, good, uh, good call on that one. Cause she's playing Radiant Historia right now. It's a phenomenal game. Everyone should play it. Um, okay. Well, guys, uh, that's it. Welcome to the end of <laughs> 2019, the end of the year, the end of the decade. Uh, yeah. It's been, been a great time uh, being on YouTube, getting to know you guys better. Thank you, everyone who's yeah. followed us for all these years, watching our, our videos, uh, supporting us. Um, we got some some cool stuff coming up here in the new year. We're going to get back onto a more regular schedule of the podcast. We'll keep you updated on how that's going to work. Still got some stuff to figure out on our end. But we wanted to let you know we're still here. We're still planning on doing it. We're not dead. The podcast isn't dead. <laughs> uh, just hang in there a little bit longer, and we'll have more information for you. So, peace out, everybody. Have a great New Year's. We'll yep. see you again. We'll see you again next year. Peace out. Peace.